You are listening to the Willpower Podcast. Welcome to the show. I am Will Holdren, and I talk with some of the most influential CEOs, entrepreneurial leaders, and thought leaders to try and reveal the secrets that has led to their success. I believe that with the right knowledge and mindset, you can do anything you set your mind to. So if you want to learn how to change your life for the better, if you want to learn how millionaires actually became wealthy, or if you want to develop and start your own business from the ground up with the right knowledge to help you, then you are in the right place because this is the Willpower Podcast. Attention, self-employed professionals and business owners. Are rising healthcare costs weighing you down? Well, it's time to make a change. Introducing Impact Healthcare, your path to savings. With us, you can save up to 50% on your monthly healthcare expenses. Our flexible plans are designed to fit your needs, and our usually friendly app puts healthcare in the palm of your hand. Join the thousands who have already made the switch to Impact Healthcare and take control of your healthcare costs today. If you're interested, click the link in the bio of this episode and give yourself a free quote to see for yourself the amazing savings that you can get with Impact Healthcare. Hey. No way that we go is a one-way street. Nothing that we love is a one-day key. And if we gon' do it, we gon' do this now. And if we say we gonna, we gon' hold this down. No way what is up everyone my name is will holdren i am the host of the will power podcast today our guest is actually another will his name is willie mckenzie and guys i'm so honored to have him on here with us he's actually an eight-figure ceo of a company called left coast holdings which is amazing he also started his company back in california now he moved more towards the east coast and now he's actually in michigan and that's where his headquarters are so willie thank you so much for joining me today what's up man thank you for having me appreciate it Awesome, man. I'm super excited for this. And so I kind of want to jump into it. First of all, what's kind of your background and why did you decide to start your company, Left Coast Holdings? How did you get into all this stuff? Sure. Um, so I come from Northern California. I've been involved in the cannabis industry since I was in high school. I started off, you know, like a lot of people do, selling weed. I sold weed through college. I started growing after college. And uh, I always, you know, after college, I also started into the construction industry. I, I'm a general contractor. I've built a couple pretty big construction companies as well. But I've always been really passionate about the cannabis industry. So when the opportunity came to get into the regulated market, I did go after some licenses. And yeah, now I've built uh, Left Coast Holdings. We have a 120-acre farm here in Michigan. We grow 49,000 plants. We have a, an indoor grow as well. We have a pretty large processing manufacturing facility where we make two of our own brands. We manufacture for other brands as well. And then we have three retail stores here in the state of Michigan. That's amazing. And it all started back in high school. And uh, you obviously have stuck with that industry, you know, which is what you see. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of those yeah. things where people people tell you like, well, I don't know why you're involved in the can in the weed industry. Like that's not a it's not a real job. It's not gonna get to anywhere. And yeah. I guess those people were wrong. Yeah, and and the laws are definitely changing about that too, all over the place, which is pretty cool for you. Anyway, um, so when you were in high school, back when it wasn't regulated, did you ever get caught selling weed? I'm just curious. I didn't get caught in high school. I got caught in college, and I actually got kicked out of the dorms freshman wow. year, um, and, wow. and managed to weasel my way back in there. Um, but yeah, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, I was selling weed in the dorms, and I got kicked out. Jeez, and then you decided to go back in that industry and build your whole business from that perspective. Yeah, you know, cannabis was, um, it was always like a side hustle for me. You know, I built a couple of pretty big construction companies. 
um, you know, seven and eight figure construction companies in the Bay area. One of which I still own, I'm passive owner. Um, and on the, you know, nights and weekends, I'd, I have a grow in my garage in the beginning. And then I started buying land up, uh, up North in the Hills. So like, if you've ever seen like murder mountain or any of these like, uh, documentaries on people growing in the Hills, like I was doing that. I own property up there. At one point I actually lived up in the Hills off grid, um, you know, growing weed in the Redwood forest. Wow. Um, and so it was a side hustle at that point. Um, you know, and my main deal was construction, but as the regulated market came around, I decided to, to make my side hustle, my main hustle. That's awesome. And so it sounds like you were obviously crushing it in the construction industry after college, right? You said you went in there, you started, you built many companies on the West coast out in California. Why did you decide to to leave that in particular, just to go back into the, the cannabis industry to begin with? Sure. Um, you know, there's a couple of things. Construction's great. Um, I mean, I started off like after college knocking on doors. I, I had, I was a painting contractor in the beginning. So I would knock on doors and offer to give people free estimates. I built that from like literally nothing. You know, I didn't have an office. I didn't have any material. I didn't have equipment um, and, and built that into something pretty big. Um, but I was never super passionate about it. it. It was good for cash flow. It's a great first business. I mean, talk yeah. about you don't really need anything to get started. It's not capital intensive. You can just hustle and get jobs and figure out how to get them done and get cash flow. Um, so from that standpoint, great. From like looking at my life and my legacy and the things that I want to build, like was I super passionate about doing, you know, large scale dry rot and construction projects for homeowners associations? No, like, you know, that, that wound up being my business. I went from door to door knocking, selling, you know, residential paint jobs to, you know, million dollar homeowners association projects. Um, wow. And that was the evolution of my construction business. And, and I still have it today and it still pays me money, but I'm not passionate about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely a beauty to be able to go out there, like you said, in, in college with no, you know, cash intensive business and just be able to go out there and just make something happen. And like I said, you went door to door starting out to get those kind of sales. And to me, like, I find that so inspiring because there's so many ways out there for kids, people that want to be entrepreneurs to go out there and just do your own thing, start your own business. And it can end up making a lot of money in the end, right? If you take your time and you actually take it seriously, which is what happened with you. So I just find that to be, you know, pretty, pretty impressive on it, on its own. hundred percent, dude. I'll tell you something. So I started doing the door to door um, paint job sales when I was a junior in college and I would drive home two and a half hours every weekend and I'd go door to door and I sold a quarter million dollars in four months in house painting jobs. And that was the start of my, my, and I had zero experience. I'd never painted a house before. I just hired guys and (laughs) got the work done over the summer. Yep. And then what's, what's cool is you probably were making more than all your professors too at that point. And you're still in college, right? So maybe, maybe you should be the one teaching the classes. <laughs> yeah. I made 50, I made 50 grand that summer and I thought I was fucking rich, dude. Yeah. And that was actually a little bit of a problem for me because I, you know, I thought like, Oh my God, I'm so good at making money. Like I'm, yeah. I made 50 grand in the summer. I'll never make less money than this in my entire life. And I bought an expensive car and made some bad decisions uh, that haunted me for a few years after that. Gotcha. So it kind of got to your head kind of early on. Um, yeah. I, yeah. And I think that is also a pretty interesting talk. Cause I think a lot of entrepreneurs, like you said, they don't really have like that finance background. They don't really know what to do once you start getting the money. 
So how did you kind of learn in your own life what to do with the money once you started getting it? Because obviously, like you said, you splurged early on it and it really backfired starting out. But if someone could like avoid that whole backfire situation early on in their career, like what would you tell them to kind of get ahead and like learn like what to do with finances once you're starting making money with your own businesses? Yeah, that's such a great point because entrepreneurs generally, in my experience, are not great with money. We're kind of where we take risks, you know, and I made some really bad decisions. Um, The the number one thing that I tell like young people when they ask me about this is like you you don't have to make a certain amount of money to start investing. Like I had this idea in my head that like I can't if I'm not making 100 grand a year, like I can't invest. But like a third of the millionaires in the United States have never made six figures. They just are are regimented about their investing. So investing small amounts over time, like if you look at a compound interest calculator, so powerful that you start when you're 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, Me, I would get, you know, $50,000 and put it in the stock market and and buy some like, uh, you know, sketchy uh, solar company that was either going to go bankrupt or (laughs) blow up and, and go bankrupt. And I'd lose 50 grand and be like, fuck. You know, Um, and so I didn't really start doing I didn't really start doing well with investing until I started buying real estate. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a good good source of income for sure. That's more passive, too. Definitely. Um, And yeah, I I think like like what you said, a lot of entrepreneurs, I think they struggle with that because a lot of them would start making money and would say F you to a lot of people out there were doubting them, you know, because that definitely crossed their mind. Entrepreneurs is a very lonely journey. It's hard to get the top of the mountain and go overcome the ups and downs, especially with everyone talking to you. I'm sure people are telling you in college, like, oh, this is stupid. It's not going to work. Right. That's something you just had to overcome as well. So I see that being one of the main causes of them doing that. But like you said, it's just learning how to properly invest your money, where to put it. And real estate, obviously, a good one. Just got to get a coach or some kind of mentor. And then they can just kind of show you the way of what to do with it. Because like you said, it doesn't have to be a lot. Even the stock market can get you three three or four percent return every single year. And then you're pretty much set. Right. If you got that million dollars in the in the stock market, you can just live off that for literally the rest of your life, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Compound interest is so powerful, especially when you start young. I mean, a lot of people don't start until their 30s and 40s. If you start anytime, anytime somebody who's like in their 20s asks me about this, I say, have you do you know what a compound interest calculator is? The answer is always no. I make them pull it up on their phone and like walk them through. If you invest three hundred dollars a month for the next 40 years or 30 years, you know what I mean? And just show how powerful it is. And people are like just blindfolded about it's not something that we learn in in the american education system like we don't they don't teach us about money in high school it's such a shame yeah i mean it's it's designed to keep people broke you know it's it's designed to make people employees not to be financially free at the end of the day which is unfortunate but that's just the way that the whole system works i mean even in college like i still like had probably one class on it you know but even though it's like yeah a little bit of the subject so it wasn't too much um 100 percent so I kind of want to jump back into your story. So did you start your cannabis company in California? Was that, is that correct? Before you moved? So I, I mean, I started my cannabis journey in California, but this cannabis company specifically, I started in Michigan. So okay. cannabis is uh, state specific. It can't cross state lines. So gotcha. when the opportunity came up to go after some licenses in Michigan, and in the beginning, it was just a single retail license, one store and a cultivation license for 2000 plants. That's what I originally started wow. off with that, you know, 2019, I, I started submitting applications here and now we're in 2023 and we've got, uh, you know, over 50,000 plants and wow. 
three stores and a, and a large manufacturing business as well. Gotcha. So when did cannabis become legal to actually start like doing this kind of stuff in Michigan? When did that first happen? 2019. 2019, the recreational market opened in Michigan, okay. end of 20, Q4 2019. So you're like the first one pretty much to jump into that Michigan market and really start taking advantage of what's going to eventually happen all over the place. Yeah, so there, Michigan had a strong medical market. So um, they had people who were already set up and operating so that when, you know, October 1st, I believe it was, when the recreational market opened, those people had rec product. They had, uh, you know, rec stores. I was still building. I didn't get my facilities open until 2020. Um, oh, wow. And so we were fighting COVID. Uh, you know, it was a challenging time to get a business off the ground, but we managed to make it happen. That's true. COVID was definitely a, a, a okay, whatever you wanted to do. But eventually, like you said, all you got to do in a bear market is just make it to the other side of it, right? I mean, that's what it is. Just got to come out on the other side. Last one. You, you ain't kidding, buddy. It's, uh, I mean, cannabis is incredibly volatile. 2022 yeah. was, a, was a really rough year. Uh, we saw wholesale prices drop as much as 90%. Um, you wow. know, something that we were selling the year before for $20,000 a liter because we're a large bulk wholesale producer. Uh, you know, in 2022, we were selling for $1,000 a liter. Uh, and there's, you know, people call, people consider a real estate crash when the market drops 20, 30%. I mean, imagine a 90% drop. And that was the idea the whole time was we just have to be as lean as possible. We have to survive through this because whoever's standing on the other end wins. Yeah. And so from a business perspective, how did you survive? I mean, 90% drop off is crazy. Like, did you just fire a bunch of people, close down some stores, like go into pause mode? Like, what did you do to get through that that time? Yeah. So we did have to get lean with our operations. That means that we had to let people go. Um, on the operational side, there's a limit to how many people you can let go because at a certain point, you can't get any more efficient with your processes. Um, yeah. We had to let a lot of the management go, so executives, because – uh, me as the founder and the CEO, I'm willing to take on a COO role um, so I can have more people reporting to me. Um, so that's what we did from a, from a labor standpoint was, yeah, we laid people off. We slimmed down our offerings. So we simplified our SKUs. We eliminated a couple brands and really honed down on like a core offering that was doing well so that we weren't off, uh, ordering, you know, four different brands of packaging and spending marketing budget on four different brands. Um, so that helped a lot. And then we also had some additional revenue streams that we added with our existing equipment. So we started offering B2B services <clears throat> for other licensed uh, companies in the industry, um, you know, with the equipment that we had at our facilities. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I guess, like you said, it, it worked out in the long run because you guys were the ones that are still on your feet. Now, has, the, has those prices rebounded ever since they dropped 90%? They come back to their normal levels or... Where are they at now? Yeah. Yeah. So this year has been, has been pretty crazy, uh, mostly to do with enforcement. There's still a lot of uh, shenanigans in the regulated cannabis space. So between January and May, distillate prices went up 700%. So from $1,000 to $8,000 a liter. And then in June, they dropped 62% down to like $3,200, dollars $3, a liter. So we've still been maintaining that like $3,200 to $3,500 a liter for the last few months, which is a, a comfortable place for me. We're, we're profitable at that level. It's that $1,000 a liter where things really get challenging. Yeah, so it seems like an industry where it really is like this, like all the time. So yeah, that's tough. That's tough to make a profit in. Um, 
One of the things I, I kind of love about your business is that business is all about opportunity, right? And where you see the most growth. And I think you guys like are in the jackpot in that space currently, because obviously the cannabis industry is one that's becoming regulated, becoming more legal throughout the entire nation. And then you guys already have the systems in place and like you guys are ready to explode with it as this also explodes out of the whole, whole United States. So in your perspective, in your own words, like where do you kind of see like the Michigan market growing to like in the next couple of years and how are you guys going to take advantage of that? Yeah. So <clears throat> from a revenue perspective, the Michigan market's actually the second biggest market in the United States, second only to California. And on a per capita basis, it's actually a larger market. People in Michigan smoke more or purchase more cannabis than people in California do per capita, which I think is awesome. So wow. from, uh, from a brand perspective, like this is a very important place to be. And so my yeah. focus you know, in the near future is really establishing ourselves as a player in Michigan and getting our brand into as many stores as possible, getting our products into the hands of as many consumers as possible and really establishing ourselves as, uh, you know, a preeminent Michigan brand. Uh, then we look at expanding into the other Midwestern states, your Illinois, Ohio, Missouri's, and any of the other ones that come online in the, in the near future. Yeah. So you guys want to go multi-state eventually outside of Michigan too, if it, if it comes to it. Yeah. The plan is to go multi-state, especially focused yeah. on the Midwest. We did apply. I applied for five retail licenses in Ohio. We didn't get any. Uh, I'm not saying that it's corrupt, but uh, it's pretty corrupt. Why is it so hard to get like, to get like a retail license for this stuff? Uh, you know, it's a lottery. It's a, it's a lottery okay. system. Um, and so you secure property, prepare an application, submit it, and you're part of this lottery. You know, um, it's just interesting if you look at the companies that, that won the licenses, they're pretty much like the, you know, like the big dog companies and then you know, like a small spattering of smaller companies. So I'm not saying that the system is corrupt, but yeah. um, it's shady. You a know, lot the, of people into that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you look at, if you look at Michigan, um, you know, the feds are in Michigan right now. They're investigating, uh, you know, state reps and Congress people for taking bribes uh, early in the cannabis licensing process. The, the former head of the CRA, the Cannabis Regulatory Agency, uh, he got removed from office. Wow. Uh, his house was raided by the feds. So, you know, there's just a lot of, I mean, this is an industry that's coming out of the shadows and, even the people who don't come from the shadows, like I come from the shadows. I'm, I'm good with it. Um, but you know, like the politicians are seeing ways to get their little mucky hands into it. Yeah. Yeah. They always find a way to screw up something. You know, they they do. The they sure do. That's for sure. So one of the things that's also impressive is the ability that you guys have scaled. Like you said, you guys started out um, with the permit for 2000 plants and now you guys are up to 50,000, I think is what you said. Like that's a yeah. huge jump over time. Obviously, a lot of people struggle with the whole scale. Like anyone can pretty much start a business by themselves, but to take it from point A to point Z and to have it be successful in between, just have it keep on growing. Eventually, like you said, you guys want to go multi-state as well. Like that is hard to do. So how have you guys been able to scale so successfully over the years? And what's been the hardest part about scaling for you guys and your company? Sure. It's a, it's a good question. So um we cut a deal in the beginning that really helped us scale. Um, and it was a licensing deal with a, with the second biggest brand in the United States that gave us the demand to scale because in order to scale, you need demand, right? You don't scale your production without having the ability to sell it. That's not a good idea. 
So by partnering with them, we had the demand and we just had to build our business to support it. Right. And so that's exactly what we did. We built our business based on this licensing deal and that helped us get to eight figures literally within 18 months of opening our doors. And, but I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it had some, it had some drawbacks because we built our business based on somebody else's brand. And so at a certain point that licensing deal ended and we had we were then in a position where we had, we had built large facilities we had large cap, uh, capacity for manufacturing we have a large grow um and then we don't have the demand anymore so then we have to build our own brands and look for other brands to produce for and so that was a big scramble um you know when that deal got turned off so i always tell people be wary of having one huge client because one huge client can wreck you yeah yeah and so obviously this licensing deal really helped you with that. And what, like, what were the terms of that licensing deal? Because from your perspective, it really helped you guys out in terms of getting bigger and you guys needed that demand that you were talking about. But from their perspective, why did they decide to, why did they decide to go with you guys as being like a, like a newer Canada's company, you know? Yeah, we had existing relationships from California. They're a California brand. And okay. They were paying us on, uh, you know, on a production and sales basis. So for the products that we produced and the sales that we did. Um, so it was a good, a really good deal for the company. But the problem was that we were just so heavily weighted with one business, right? Hmm. Um, you lose, if you have one client, you lose one client, you've lost 100% of your revenue, right? But if you have 10 clients, and you lose yeah. one, you still have nine clients left. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so how, how were you guys going out there and just securing these licensing deals going forward? Like, what was your game plan on that? Was that on you for, for particular to go out there and get these deals done for the company? Or what, what did that look like? Yeah, that's, um, that's kind of my, uh, one of my responsibilities here um, is, you know, bringing licensing deals and brands into the state. One of the, one of the um, advantages of like this personal brand that I've been working on. Uh, you know, I know I've met you on Instagram, but LinkedIn yep. has a really powerful cannabis community. Um, we don't have the same restrictions that uh, the meta platforms. So like, I don't know if you know, but we're not allowed to post about cannabis on Facebook or Instagram. We can't advertise really? it. Our pages get shut down all the time. I've had all my brands pages have been deleted. It's incredibly difficult to market um, cannabis on social media. But LinkedIn has, and Twitter now, but LinkedIn was the original, like, hey, we're cool with you guys. So the cannabis community on LinkedIn is amazing. I have a big network there of people. I produce content every day, written content. And um, so, yeah, I get a pretty good inflow of deals of people who are looking to come to Michigan. Got so it. I haven't had to go out and source too many on my own. Gotcha. They've mostly come in. Gotcha. It's probably more word of mouth now um, as well. As I'm curious, more for the, of, yeah, more word of mouth, and also that we've that we've you know we grew this brand from zero to two and a half million units per month, and so people know that we have the capacity to operate at scale. Wow, yeah, and for the for the Twitter, was it after Musk came that you guys were allowed to then post that kind of stuff on Twitter? Yeah, exactly. So after Musk came, he actually made. Uh, he, they started off, they were always okay with cannabis, but, um, he yeah. made it okay to advertise for cannabis. So I could actually pay to advertise cannabis products on Twitter now or X. Wow. Yeah. X, you're right. X. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. gotta love Elon Musk, man. He does a lot of, a lot of good stuff. A G he's a G for sure. I got a he's lot a, of respect for Elon Musk. He's a world changer for sure. Um, 
so obviously, man, like like you're so successful right now. And I'm just curious, like for someone that's starting out, obviously doing their own thing, maybe someone that's else in college, like what would you recommend for them to do if they want to start their own business? Not sure what they want to do yet. They know they want to start their own business. Like, what would you recommend, like maybe three or five steps, like to get their feet on the ground and kind of put themselves going in the right direction just to make something happen? Because obviously, like it's so hard going from like zero to five, right? But then once you're there, like it's a lot easier, like next step, next step, next step. It's just I think the starting point is a lot really hard for a lot of people. Yeah, so what would you recommend yeah. people? Uh, I mean, you know, when I look back at like, I always wanted to be a businessman, but I didn't know what kind of business I wanted to be in or what does that look like? I actually did, you know, tech sales for a little bit um, right after college. But I think networking is probably one of the most um, powerful things that you could do. Seeing other people, what they're doing, seeing their businesses, coming up with your own ideas from that. And so getting involved in groups like social media is such a massive tool. LinkedIn is a massive tool where you can see what people are doing. And then there's mentorship available. Like, you know, I am I'm in a bunch of mastermind groups where I have met other people who are, you know, high level entrepreneurs who are doing big things. I've gotten involved in deals with them, things that I had no idea about. Um, you know, I'm getting into some Section 8 real estate right now, which is something I had zero, zero, you know, I just... Like I know what a section eight voucher is, but I would never think that to buy that kind of real estate. And, you know, a friend of mine who's sold his company for $115 million has endless money is buying $50,000 houses in Ohio because they cash flow like no, nobody's business. And so I'm learning that from him. So getting involved in those kind of groups, like mastermind groups, any kind of networking groups that you can get in and where you're talking to people about business like I love helping young entrepreneurs. Like if people want to ask me questions, I'm, I'm all about it because I needed to talk to people like me when I was getting started. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And I love what you said about social media groups and they're so powerful. And I really do think that they're slept on. Like I said, LinkedIn has so many groups out there. So does Facebook and stuff you can join and just really start connecting with people. And you just never know where one connection can really lead to like at, at the end of the day. Right. And that's, that's the exciting part, but it's free. Right. So if you don't have a lot of money starting out, you can do that stuff and it's free. It works out. One connection can change your life. Yep. That's really it. That's really it. I think it's also important to be open-minded to like, you just said like, you're obviously an eight figure CEO and you're still looking at other ways to make money, like still working like end games out, like what, what's going to look like. And now you're going like in section eight real estate. Right. So it's about having the open mind too, and just, you know, just being ready for whatever comes your way, which I think is pretty cool. A hundred percent. I mean, I have, so like what I have built right now is has a lot of equity, right? So I'm yeah. I, I think of business as two things, right? Equity and cash flow. I have built a business that has a lot of equity. Now I'm solving for cash flow. So yeah, um, Section Eight housing has cash flow. That's awesome. Yeah, and so just bouncing off of that, one more question: like, what do you kind of see and envision as your end game plan to kind of exit like the businesses and all that kind of stuff and kind of go into the next step of life? Yeah, I mean, ultimately. Um, I, I plan to build this business and, and have an exit at some point. Um, long term, I like starting businesses. I don't know that I want to be an operator forever. And yeah. so I think I have this concept of, uh, you know, me having capital and having some vision and ideas and finding operators to partner with where I can provide money and uh, advisory and not have to be in the office day to day in the trenches, building the business and have more of a, you know, an advisory capacity. So that, that's what I like in real estate long-term. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of being that financial backbone for other companies that are out there. 
Exactly. And you get passive income off of that too. So you get it's a win-win. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so before we run out of time, I have a couple more questions for you. So one, um, have you ever had like any powerful books that have like really like touched you after reading them? Like, man, this, this hit me different. Like anything you would recommend to our viewers on books? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the best book that I have read in the last five years is uh, Your Next Five Moves by Patrick Bet David. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of us, w- we work really hard, but we're not thinking strategically and working tactically. And you can wind up burning five years of your life working really hard without working towards your ultimate goal. So like learning to think five moves ahead is so powerful. Uh, when I see what I'm doing nowadays, I actually see myself moving pieces on the chessboard as I check things off my list. That, that was never like that before. So that's a super powerful book. Gotcha. Yeah. I'll check that one. Out. I actually haven't read that one. I heard about it, but I haven't read about it yet. Um, and my next question is, I'm just curious, like, do you personally yourself smoke weed? I don't, I'm actually sober. I've been sober for 11 years, um, 11 years ago. And this, this didn't come up, uh, you know, but I'm open about it. 11 years ago, I was a homeless drug addict. I had, uh, I lost everything to an opiate addiction in my late twenties, uh, and had to start over from scratch. That's why when you hear me say I've, I built multiple con- businesses in the construction industry because I lost one of them. And I had to start over from scratch, uh, you know, in my early 30s. And so everything you see has been built in the last decade, starting from negative $100,000. I, I came out of rehab with $100,000 in debt. I lived in a halfway house. I took the bus every day. Um, and I sat at some guy's kitchen table and wrote a marketing plan for a small painting company and turned it into an eight-figure business. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible, though, at the same exact time. Um yeah, I got, I have a, you know, I have a checkered past and a, yeah. an interesting story for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. 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 I mean, like at the same time though, I've had a, multiple people on podcasts that kind of experience the same kind of scenarios and they always come out like on the other end and just like make it work, you know, and experience success at a very high level. I was like wondering like from your perspective, you think there's something to it where you guys just have like something else that's like, you guys just will not give up, you know what I mean? Compared to other people that are never really experienced that rock bottom feeling, you know? Yeah. To be honest, I think it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, You know, I was like in my twenties, had my own company. I paid myself 10 grand a month. Uh, You know, I had a nice car and a nice house and I had a huge fucking ego and nobody could tell me shit. And man, you know, talk about eating humble pie to, to lose everything publicly and to kind of reach that depth and then, you know, the process of, of rebuilding and learning about myself um, was super powerful for me. So I thank God every day that it happened. It's like the worst things, a lot of times of the worst things in life often turn out to be the best things that ever happened to us. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. And it's, it's really inspiring to like seeing stuff like that happen. And like, obviously you guys you just change everything around and you just make it work, like no matter what it costs and you just find a way to make it happen. I think that's incredible. I mean, you could have easily, like you said, you're making 10 grand a month. You could have easily been very complacent and just been there for the rest of your life. You know, I think that's what some people do. They find that they cap out, they hit that, they're complacent. They don't really have that hunger to do anything more with it. Um, they, they just stay there. It's kind of a sad thing to see, but you know, obviously hundred, you change percent. Yeah. Which is pretty incredible. Um, so my last question for you before we run out of time, because I always said 30 minutes. Um, so going forward, what are some, what are the top three goals that you want to get accomplished in the next couple of years? 
Top three goals. Um, so I have some some plans um, here for my management team now that the business has, uh, you know, kind of survived this nasty bear market. So um, I am I'm looking to bring in some more executives, which I'm really excited about. That will ease some of the burden off my shoulders. Um, I have a goal to buy 20 Section 8 houses in the next six months. So that's something that I plan to execute on. Um and then third, I think I just want to continue to network. I, I built a, a mastermind for the cannabis industry, um, which is a pretty unique. I've been in masterminds for years. There's never been one for cannabis specific. I've always been the only cannabis guy in them. Hmm. And so I just, I literally last week was our first meeting. I got 20 people in the, in the group already. And I would like to get that up to a hundred people uh, by the end of next year. So, wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, knowing you, you're going to make it happen no matter what the cost is. So that would be cool to see. Um, all right, guys, there you have it. William McKenzie, thank you so much for joining me. And before we hop off, um, anyone wants to reach out to you, wants to find you, how can they best find you and or your business? At Willie McKenzie Official on Instagram, Willie McKenzie CEO on uh, LinkedIn, Willie McKenzie on YouTube. Awesome. All right, guys, there you have it. William McKenzie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Bill. Okay. No way that we go is a